0: Time. Oh, intercepted. Yes. It's, intercepted it's intercepted by Chancellor. Touchdown.
1: 89
2: yards.
0: All right. Welcome to the uh, second edition of the Real Hawk Talk Show. I'm here with Brian Nemhauser. I'm Jeff Simmons, and it's been a quite an eventful week to start training camp it's only been three practices but it feels like they've been going for a month already with the amount of news that's come out last week we were previewing the camp and off the top the two guys we were most excited to see malik McDowell was brian's pick cj process was my pick they opened training camp (laughs) none of them are on the field yeah i'll tell you this i'm at my parents pool in toronto And it's Sunday afternoon, I'm having a beer with a buddy and I'm just relaxing. I was late to the, I'm usually right on the live broadcast. I pick up my phone probably an hour into camp and it goes into all out panic mode. Out of nowhere, Malik McDowell, the guy we're both jacked up to see, might not be playing this year. Today, I wake up in the morning, it's probably nine in the morning, my time, 6am your time. Cam Chancellor signs a mega extension. Three years, right in the market, $12 million a year, 25 guaranteed. So off the top, we got to talk about Chancellor. We, we went over this last week. We were kind of both in a wait-and-see situation, and everyone in the world, on the team at least, is excited about this deal, maybe except for Delano Hill. Because <laughs> now Chancellor's going to be around for the rest of his career. So off the top, term money how it affects the locker room where are your thoughts on this cam extension are you surprised it happened so fast and i guess how does it impact the locker room and i guess hill is a third round pick
2: yeah good yeah great question and um before i even answer just uh uh thanks for everyone for joining um first time we've had a live audience in which is cool we're we're just learning on this so we'll, we'll give it a shot and see how it goes and um, eventually, hopefully, uh, add some, you know, larger audience to to this as we go along. Um, you know, uh, apparently, this can hold as many as a thousand people at once. <laughs> that would be pretty chaotic, but uh, it might be fun. So, um, this is all part of kind of growing this community of of uh, Seahawks fans that, uh, you know, respectful, fun, uh, care about the team, want to get the additional details. So, um, thanks for all of you for uh, for joining. Um, As far as your question, Jeff, um, I was happy. I mean, I'd come to terms. I got a lot of questions around the camp chancer, potential signing or not signing. What should you do? He's kind of getting older. We talked about it last week. I've I've pretty much been on the side of this guy is the alpha dog in that locker room. I think he's taken over um, as much as anyone could from Marshawn Lynch moving on. Um, I don't think there's anyone else in that locker room that commands the kind of respect that he does. From his teammates, from the coaches, from opponents, um, I think he is—he uh, is right now the center of that Seahawks identity from a toughness and um, intimidation standpoint. And I think without Cam, I think that team looks really different. And um, so I, I really—I'm uh, happy for him. I'm happy for his teammates. Um, you know, obviously, we all hope that he's able to stay healthy and. I think the deal is great if it had been you know i thought it was gonna be four years um with with likely a something would cut down to three or two but a three-year deal with really two years guaranteed um you know i think is is very very reasonable and the seahawks should consider themselves pretty uh fortunate that they were all able to get him for that
0: i was pretty surprised it was three years as well and i think the way he's had dirt some durability issues and He's, he's missing three to four games a season. I thought he's, I thought if you can get him for two, three years, it's right in the money spot. And they got him for three years, which is perfect for what you want from him, how, how long he'll probably last. And what a, what a good sign for the locker room with all those questions about how the locker room is now. And you sign the guy who everyone in the room looks up to. And it's hard to find anything wrong with this. The one question that kind of was going around today, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this one, was I mentioned Delano Hill earlier. The team spent the third round pick on Hill, not knowing probably Cam Chancellor's future. If Cam was their number one priority the whole time, do you wonder at all about that pick? Or is having depth after Kelsey McRae was pretty inconsistent at that spot, and you have a guy who's going to miss probably a couple games a year based on how he plays. Do you think they should regret that pick at all? Or is it just a luxury to have that kind of depth?
2: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have that reaction at all. I know a lot of people talked about that today and, and, um, uh, my philosophy when it comes to roster building and, and the reason I, I, I really support what the Seahawks did is you go where the talent is in the draft. You don't, I'm not a big proponent of, um, you obviously have to factor in need and Schneider has been very clear about, um, how they do that. But, um, this was a draft that was rich in secondary talent. And so I think you want to dig into that, dip into it as much as possible, add that to your roster. And if that means you've got more depth for a couple of years in that part of your roster, great, no problem. Um, And I think realistically, that secondary is getting older. Even if they are not going to be off the team, which we hope they're not, they're going to probably have more downtime. They'll probably benefit more from rotating reps. People forget that Cam Chancellor's rookie year, he didn't play almost at all. Lawyer Malloy was the safety that year. He helped bring Cam Chancellor up. And what Pete Carroll did, and what he does that's so great, is he finds roles. He'll define a really narrow role that, that a rookie can get on the field. And for Cam Chancellor in that rookie year, it was goal line, it was short yardage. Um, it got him on the field in some of those situations and got him experience. And by the time he came around the next year. He hit the ground running. So if Delano Hill is a special teams ace and a um, you know can come in in certain sub packages or just give Cam a blow now and then, um, and next year he starts taking on more time, great. Um, so uh, definitely no issues there. And and I think there's some other guys. I mean rookies. I was watching in camp today. Um, Shaq Griffin, you know, reminded me as I was watching him do special teams practice, Richard Sherman, you know, he broke in in special teams as a gunner as well. People forget that. But for the first five or six games of that season, he wasn't playing. He was a gunner on special teams and and was great at it. So I think these guys can upgrade your team, even if they're not necessarily playing in the position they were drafted for.
0: I totally agree with you there. And I kind of rolled my eyes when I've seen like talk going around Twitter that they might have wasted a pick or <laughs> One of the issues this team has had the last couple of years is depth. They haven't had – one guy goes down and it's kind of – you saw what happened with Earl last year. Obviously, he's a pretty irreplaceable piece. And I saw some people questioning why they would sign Bradley McDougald and why they would spend a pick on Hill. You want to be in position like they were in 2013 when they had the luxury of all those players on their rookie deals. If there are, there's going to be injuries in a football team, you want to be in position where you can have it – and at the same time, you're going to have Hill pushing Cam, and that's only going to make him better. And You want those guys p- barking on that for playing time and having Hill on special teams and having Hill potentially, you can use him in some sub-packages, maybe sort of like how Deion McKenzie used in Arizona. There's ways to get both those guys on the field. So I think it's way too early to start wondering why they drafted him, or why didn't they know they'd sign Chancellor, or all that kind of stuff. I think this is this is a it's about time this team got some good news after kind of the way this offseason's gone.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would just add there that um, in general, philosophy has to be add the best players you possibly can whenever you can add them, however you can add them. And if a guy like Bradley is available for ch- on the cheap and he's a great player, you can add in. You do it. And uh, you know, same thing goes for the draft. And what you'll find is if you have a surplus. That gives you opportunities down the road to make trades. Um, you know, uh, the Patriots, I think, do a pretty good job of this. Um, you know, they've talked about a surplus. They drafted a quarterback um, in the first three rounds of you know two of the past three drafts. So, um, you know, I think I think people need to go where the the talent is, and and things will work out otherwise.
0: Yeah, and we we touched on this at the top of the show, and obviously, this was the news that kind of shook everyone up. On Sunday, Malik McDowell doesn't report to camp initially. He has an accident with which was reported as an ATV accident. And there's been more or less some leaks about what some of those injuries have been. I think it was an NFL Network reporter that said there was a some facial injuries and a concussion. And he reported to camp today. And I saw you were doing some research on one of the major injuries that he w- was reported with. Have you gotten more comfortable with some of your findings there? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm
2: always cautious there because obviously <laughs> I, I'm not a doctor and I don't want to pretend to play one even I'm on a, a web show, it. but but uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd heard some of the same rumors, um, you know, Davis, uh, Sue, friend of mine, great follow on Twitter. I'm sure everyone's already following him. And um, you know, we all have our sources inside or a lot of us do and hear different things. Davis has heard that you know, he has an orbital fracture, you know, that's the eye, eye socket, right? And uh, source said 90% likelihood that he was going to miss the season. Um, I've heard from other folks that it's not nearly that serious. And that, you know, he might be back on the field soon. Um, I kind of went, I kind of look at these things as logically as I can. And, you know, um, and that might not be that logical sometimes. But Uh, you know, let's say it is an orbital fracture. I just started looking around at how many people had gone through orbital fractures in the NFL, what their recovery time had been. seems like a pretty logical way to kind of figure out what can, oh, it's not cam, sorry, but, uh, what Malik's might be. And there haven't been that many orbital fractures that I've seen or that were reported on. And the ones that there have been, are have generally been at most, you know, four to five weeks. Um, I think that's on the outside and, um, you know, I think when you consider that there aren't that many of these injuries in general in the NFL, um, you know, the, the only time that it ends up being a really long injury is like three months. If you're a MMA fighter or a boxer and you're not yeah. wearing a helmet and the whole point of the, the sport is to punch each other in the face. So, um, I, you know, I think, we'll see um, this this may be pretty minor it may be more about the concussion than any facial injury and um, you know now he's in Seattle that's a great step and let's hope by the end of the week we get a little bit more clarity on on what's going on with him
0: I know I, I had a dark thought when all when, when the news first came out and there was some there's always there was some hesitation from some people when they made the pick because of his history of his work ethic and some of the and maybe it was one of those scenarios where Seattle thought they can fix a guy, then maybe the rest of the league. Maybe I'm wrong here, but it kind of brought back memories of Percy Harvin. And yeah. <laughs> logic has come back a little bit. Obviously, these scenarios are completely different. It's just one of those things where I remember when camp started in 2013, the first day, Percy's not in the field, and it was the same thing. And then the labrum news gets out, and it's like a cloud over all of training camp. Am I, was well, I way off in that thought or is it just brought back like a bad memory? I remember exactly what? where it was in 2013 and <laughs> I remember trying to coping with that news and it was kind of the same reaction. Maybe this is completely different. Hopefully McDowell's okay. It just, that was that dark thought that came to my head.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll admit that when, when the news came out, um, besides just being, I, I mean, I was I was pretty crestfallen because I told you and I I've told other people that the entire offseason strategy rested on how Malik McDowell panned out. If he ended up being half of what they say he is, um, then the rest of the draft class could just kind of play along and not have to necessarily show out in order to be you know, strong. But if he didn't pan out, and they traded back twice and they missed on you know s- some other guys that could have helped them this year, then the whole, the whole plan kind of goes up in smoke. And you know, there's an old saying in business, which is you never get fired for, for picking IBM. And um, you know, John and Pete are not, you know, <laughs> they, don't, they, don't that. People. they don't, they don't think that way, but um, there are times that they should, and people can disagree or say, Hey, you're not a GM or coach. You don't know what you're talking about. From my point of view, um, I'll share it. I, I think that risk is always something that factors into any decision you make, and um, there's got to be a risk reward balance. And you know, I felt like there was lower risk choices um, that they could have made. Um, you know, if if Malik works out and is uh, a disruptive interior defender, then it will be a fantastic set of decisions they made because those are really hard to find. But when you have a guy that has some of these question marks, and then he makes a decision like this, we don't know all the story about it. He's supposedly been a passenger in this thing. Who knows if he was just taking a ride between two houses and something crazy? Like we don't know. It could have been something that any. You know, we we just don't know. And um, like I've said on Twitter, I made all sorts of stupid decisions when I was 20 (laughs) years old, and I didn't have millions of dollars either. So I'm not going to malign him, but just from a general roster management and and impact perspective. Some people are going to try to tell you, Hey, he didn't play last year. You know, the team will be fine without him. This team was built in part with the assumption that they were going to have someone like him. And so he's a big loss if he can't play. And they don't have somebody who's really viable to replace him. Um, They have other guys that can play his spot but there's no other guys that really are similar in, in what they can bring to the table.
0: No, he's a potentially dominant player. And the guy that jumps to mind now, if we're trying to move forward, I don't want to assume a timeline on the injury because I don't have enough information, but Quinton Jefferson is the guy who kind of jumps to the top of the line right now. I, I know Jaron Reed's got some snaps in the nickel package early on. And, but really Jefferson's the one who's really built to play that third down interior rush role. That's kind of why they traded up for him last year. Have you seen anything from him at camp early on? I know we worked out with Ben and Averill a lot in the off season and I haven't seen his name come through a lot in early training camp reports. Has he done anything yet?
2: He's been coming off of some injury as well. And um, you know, there hasn't been anything that's jumped out so far. He actually sat, you know, I think he didn't um, participate in a number of the team drills today. The team does that with players that are still kind of recovering from injury. Cassius Marsh hasn't been, you know, participating in a lot of those drills, but he had pads on today. So um, there are, you know, there's a fair fair number of guys that end up in that kind of situation. Um, but no, I haven't, you know, Quentin Jefferson has not flashed for me yet, um, and I'll keep an eye out on him. But again, I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't stress enough that <laughs> – you know, Quentin Jefferson was a fifth round pick that they, you know, they moved up for and, um, he might be good, but the likelihood that he's going to be someone like what they're you know, Calais Campbell, which is who they're pretty much talking about McDowell being similar to. Yeah, I, I just don't see that. So, um, uh, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, uh, Maybe maybe now is a good time to let people know if they if they have some questions. Um, I think they can uh, raise their hands. Um, uh, yeah, on we their already screen. have one.
0: We already have one question in there.
2: We do. All right, mm-hmm. is this in the chat pod or is this uh, someone that's raised their hand?
0: Let's let's try to get them in here. All right, it's from Sean Thompson. I hope he's still hanging around here. And he put his.
2: Hey, Sean, you there? Yeah, here we are. Yeah. Hey, dude.
3: Hey, guys. How are y'all?
2: Good. Good right. to meet
3: you. Yeah, good to meet y'all. Thanks for doing this.
2: Yeah. Can, before you ask your question, can you tell us where you're from?
3: Yeah, I'm in Austin, Texas. Um, oh, wow. Born and raised here all my life. Uh, about eight years old, I became a Seahawks fan down here. And, uh, just stayed with them throughout the, the nineties <laughs> and the early two thousands. And now we're, now we're on the other side. So it's
2: great. That's the sign of a true Seahawks
3: fan. She <laughs> made it through the nineties. So yeah, uh, exactly. I watched week
0: one last year in Austin, Texas, the Seahawks Dolphins. Yeah. game. I was a, that was a sweaty one for me.
3: Oh yeah. It's hot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think I was just playing around with the raise your hand thing. I, I, uh, um, I was going to ask Brian if he got that replica, uh, trophy at Tiffany's, He turned the <laughs> light on early,
2: <laughs> but, uh, uh a matter of fact, I didn't, but, uh, softie, uh, turned me onto a place. Um, what's it called? It was up in, uh, I'll, I'll try to remember what it was, but, uh, it was the best, best money I spent. I look at that thing every morning. I'm pretty happy about it. So,
3: yeah, that's pretty sweet. Okay. So here's a real question for you. Um, do you guys have a huge concern about Blair Walsh like I do?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, the first day, it seemed like some, I think maybe Bob Condota of the Seattle Times reported that Walsh missed a couple of his, two of his four field goals the first day of camp. Um, I saw him miss one of the, one of them. Um, he hasn't missed any since then that I've seen. Um, he's actually been doing some punting too, which I don't know if that's just for fun, but uh been doing some of that uh, as well look I I thought it was surprising that they moved on from Stephen Hauschka I think Hauschka got a bad rap last year and was really affected by really poor long snapping and um, that that really messed up that entire um, system and that it got in his head and eventually you know uh, caused him to have some uncharacteristic misses I think the team's going to regret not having him around. Um, I know he costs more money. And um, quite honestly, if I had the choice, I'd rather the team save money on punting than on kicking. And, um, uh, you know, they've stuck with a pretty old John Ryan. And um, I don't love the Blair Walsh move. I'll be completely f- frank. I-, I don't love it. Um, I think it's a big risk. I think that it could end up unraveling the, the, the season in, in ways we don't want. But um, this guy has been an all-pro kicker, and um, you know uh, the team's given him a chance to prove that he can return to that form. So it's not like they picked up some kind of loser off the street.
0: I'm I'm closer I'm closer to you, Sean. I'm I was nine out of ten in panic mode when I when I saw Bob's <laughs> tweet the other day. I was on. I was on our lads looking up depth charts of kickers, looking at the Bucks, and looking <laughs> at teams they could trade for already. And once I saw some of the stats that came out today, I calmed down a little bit. But one of my best friends in media is a Vikings fan. And when they signed him, he said, get ready to lose your hair. And obviously they've gone through some tough losses with Walsh, the Seahawks game we all remember, yeah. where he completely shanked that kick. And last year he just totally lost it. I think that overshadows who, a player that had a pretty good career. For He was a all-pro player. For you now, I'm just cautiously optimistic. I want to see him in the games. But for a team that wants to play with running the ball and playing tough defense and win close games, you got to have a guy who can convert there. And if Walsh is as scary as he's looked at times, that's really going to cost him. So around, the, around the, the 53-man cut, I bet you they're going to be snipping around other guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if they totally swap kickers by that point.
2: Thanks for the question, Sean. If you have others, okay. uh, feel free to come back on. Okay. All right. Thanks, man.
0: All right, that, that was a good question. I was actually going to get to that question next on my list. So that, <laughs> that covers uh, one of the big ones. Oh, we got another question, it looks like.
2: All right. Let's take it.
0: All right. Hold on. Let me find Tim Fink. All right, Tim. We're calling you into the show now. Hey, Tim, how you
2: doing? Good. How's it going? Hey, Tim, good to see you.
1: Hey, so uh, just quick question for you guys. What do you think about uh, Deion Jordan? Do you think he can kind of fit into the uh, role maybe Malik McDowell was going to fit into?
2: First, got to tell us where you're coming from, uh, Tim.
1: Uh, I'm calling from Arizona.
2: Nice. I'll be down yeah, there yeah. for the game later this year.
1: Yeah, it's, it's always a lot of fun. Uh, it's except for last year, got a little testy at the, uh, six, six game. A lot of fans <laughs> of cheating. out. And like, I don't know what we did to cheat today, but you know, go ahead. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Washington, big Seahawks fan down here for like eight years in Arizona now. So it's fun.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Great having you. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Why don't you take the first stab at, uh, the Deion Jordan question
0: right now with Deion Jordan, it, he needs to get on the field and he's, he hasn't been able to participate in the offseason program yet. And he's, he had to get his knee cleaned up, from what I understand. And I don't know if the team's counting on him much. I think that was part of why they signed Marcus Smith, who's going to get some snaps at that nickel defensive end rule. I think it's kind of a long shot for Jordan until he gets healthy and shows he can play and shows that he's over some of the things that burned his career in Miami. I think he's more of a long shot at this point. I know Pete loves kinda these reclamation projects and he was a guy who played in the Pac twelve and they knew him probably from Oregon in the Chip Kelly days. And he's a guy with a lot of talent and he does have the skill set maybe to do that. But until he gets on the field, I can't say that I'm comfortable saying that he can fill into Malik McDowell's role because he hasn't really
2: played in three years. And he yeah. you're lucky if you can get anything at this point he's been he's been on on the practice field which M- mcdowell hasn't so you give him yeah, that credit okay. for that but he has not been practicing um and you know as as jeff said he's, he's recovering from injury this is a guy that has either been injured or smoking pot um you know <laughs> not that it's a crime in our state but uh it's definitely been keeping him off the field um uh, in the nfl so uh, you know this is his, absolutely his last chance and um, I'd like to bet on his talent to kind of prove himself once he gets on the field. But uh, I've just seen time and again, I've fallen for it in these training camps where they bring in someone of a big name or big pedigree and they're not on the field and they can't play. And you wait and you wait and wait. Last year it was um, not quite as big of a name, but, uh, what was the defensive tackle from new England that, that, uh, Saliga, Saliga, silver Bro- Saliga. I thought he was going to be a pretty big addition for us. I liked the way he played in new England. Couldn't get on the field. You know, we've seen Terrell Owens, uh, <laughs> you know, come and go like, anyway, I I'm selling on Dion Jordan. Um, uh, and you know, he is one of those guys though, that if he does get on the field, clearly is has had enough talent to get people's attention um so maybe there's more upside than i'm giving him credit for
1: yeah my initial thought was like uh you know why didn't they let him go after they found out that they had, he had an injury um and then with with light of this mcdowell injury i was thinking well maybe maybe that's the reason they're holding on to him as opposed to maybe giving that roster spot to someone that can come in and compete you know from day one um Maybe he's kind of a, a hedge bet in a, in a sense for uh, McDowell right now, and that's the reason why they're you know holding on to him.
2: Yeah, you know one of the things I think that's that's possible, um, but in general, the type of position or, or skill set that will always get the longest leash, pass rushers. And so you know if there's even a minor chance that he can be a productive pass rusher, and you can get him for pretty much nothing. Um, teams will will take their time, and you guys mentioned Marcus Smith, and he's a guy who uh, Pete's talked about as a Sam linebacker. They believe you know he can be a Sam linebacker, and that he was a former first round pick of, of Philadelphia that they they signed. Um, I do not see him as a linebacker. I mean, he's just not fleet of foot. He's not good in space, but he does show promise as a pass rusher. Not a on the edge, not a not in the middle, but um, He's he's in two the past two days he's shown some promise although I will say at the end of the day he uh, he looked to um, pull his calf his right calf and was uh, stretching that out so I, I'm guessing he's going to be out for at least a few days because they they tend to be pretty precautious with that stuff. But thanks for the question, Tim.
1: Thank you. This is great, guys. Keep up the great work.
2: Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot for coming on.
0: All right, Sean is calling back in. Do you wanna? Bring him back on, or should we try to get someone else on?
2: Uh well let's let's keep going with some of the other uh questions you had and then we'll uh we'll bring back uh, some other folks.
0: So yeah, as we were gonna get into earlier, Brian's been a training camp. He's been doing great stuff for the Hawk Blogger website and the exclusive stuff he's been doing too has been fantastic. The instant observations and I don't I'm not privy to being the in Seattle. I can't get down to camp. So this is a, kind of the segment where Brian's going to shine here. I'm more of going to interview him here. And obviously from the outside looking in, there are things that have jumped out to me right off the top, just from reading Brian and reading some of the beat writers down there. The guy that I kept hearing about all off season, and I didn't really believe it, if I'm being honest, was Jeremy Lane. And it seemed like typical Pete off season talk where he's buzzing about someone else. But I kept hearing that something clicked with him. I don't know if it was the down year I don't know if it's the Pud of getting cut after this season, but from you and from Shale Kapadia, everyone's just raving about this guy. Is is this, what are you seeing on lane and do you think he's a lock for that starting corner job as of now?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, as I mentioned in the last time we talked, um, I'm probably a good, uh, a good judge of uh, at least a, a good person to talk about Jeremy Lane because I'm been kind of a skeptic, not not a huge yeah. believer, and and um, uh, I don't think he does anything really well. Uh, as part of what I tend to like, guys that have real strengths. You know, people, belong, you know, were not fans of Brandon Browner because he wasn't great in coverage, and in sometimes or he was, you know, kind of clumsy or he'd hold. But Brandon Browner had immense strengths. I mean, he was a guy that, against certain receivers could completely shut them down and would create turnovers and was fantastic in run support. So there's things he just did really well. And for me, I'll take that over guys that are kind of okay at a bunch of stuff, but not great at anything. And I kind of thought that was Jeremy Lane as far as I've evaluated him. Um, and I will say he looks more fluid uh, more natural as an athlete this year, um, is what I've noticed so far. Um, I will say, uh, they did, uh, 1v1, uh, coverage drills today with pads. First time they've done that. Uh, I got to look at a lot of guys. I was watching that, that drill pretty closely and (laughs) Lane had three, uh, penalties for holding or defensive pass interference. Um, and, you know, I, I don't. He did okay in that drill. I don't think he he earned the the praise that that Pete gave him today. I thought actually some of the other corners um, impressed me a little bit more. Um, uh, I really liked what I saw from from Shaq uh, Shaq Griffin today. I almost said Shaq Lawson. Um, uh, I thought uh, Nico Thorpe did a nice job. I'm looking through my notes here through each different um, one of the things I liked about Shaq Griffin. Um, he's not the biggest guy, um, but he uh, he showed really nice hands and press. He, he knocked back Rodney Smith, who's six foot five and um, Smith still managed to to get his feet back and, and make a catch. But um, I was impressed by Griffin's strength there. And later on in practice, Griffin was, just in the uniform, in the Jersey of Cyril Grayson running a go route down the left side of the field. And, um, Grayson's the fastest guy on the team. So, um, I haven't seen guys with that tight of coverage that often. So I really liked what Griffin showed today. Another guy that I'll throw out there, um, that was, uh, impressive was, um, I like huh? impressive is probably too strong, but a guy I'm starting to watch a little bit more is Demetrius McRae. Um, he is where's number 39. Like Brandon Browner looks a little bit like him cause he's tall. I think he's six maybe six, three and um, you know, he's, he's got some interesting potential. Um, so he was another one that kind of stood out today.
0: Yeah. He played and with you know, uh, Gus Bradley in Jacksonville. So he's familiar with the scheme and we didn't really touch on him last week. We were more focused on DeAndre Elliott. He was kind of our guy. We were intrigued by. I haven't heard anything about him at camp so far. Have you? Has he, anything he's done jumped out to you positively or negatively, or is he just doing his job
2: and not flashing in any way? Yeah, he's he's solidly. I mean, he's solidly on the roster. Um, yeah. I, I think that he he does his job well. I think he's he played fine today. He hasn't made that many flash plays yet, but he's he's running with the first team on special teams um, and all the coverage units that I'm seeing. Um, That's always a great sign for guys that are backups. Um, I think Elliot, you know, I I told you, I thought Elliot has a potential to challenge for that starter spot, um, or at least push Nico Thorpe um, for, for the third corner spot, which would be an outside corner position when, when Lane comes on the field. That hasn't happened yet, but I still believe that's true. Um, I think, I think Elliot's really solid. I think he's a good tackler. I like his overall athleticism, so I'm still buying um, on DeAndre Elliott for sure.
0: Uh, yeah, so the cornerbacks, obviously one of the battles everyone's watching. The other one to me that really jumps off the page is that right tackle. I know Jermaine Effetti has had a mixed start to camp, some really good moments, some really rough moments yesterday with Cliff Averill. The guy who really intrigues me still in and out of this draft class is Ethan Postage at right tackle. And I used to cover hockey a lot. And when I covered hockey, one of the things you notice is a really good defenseman, you don't notice him because they're so assignment correct. You only notice them when they're screwed up. Postage on film really reminded me of that. He's very assignment correct. He's very tactically sound, which is so different than alignment they've had. And you almost can go through practice and a neutral observer might not notice him. Some people have really raved about his play. And some people, he's just been very quiet. You haven't heard anything about him which is almost the exact opposite of a Fetty. So where do you kind of stand on that battle so far? And what have you not liked and liked about either player?
2: Yeah, this is one of those ones where I have to answer in two ways. One, you know what I've noticed and how I evaluate, which, you know, take that for what, what you will. And then how I think the Seahawks evaluate. Cause I think I've learned very clearly over the past five years that, um, I value different things in offensive linemen than Tom Cable does. And so, you know, for example, I'll, I can watch um, a player struggle mightily. Michael Bowie um, was a guy, for example, that was just a disaster in 1v1 pass rush drills. And Alvin Bailey, back when he was a rookie, was, uh, he was a godsend. I mean, I, 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 I was so shocked to see how effective he was, um, a former guard at left tackle. He was a fantastic pass blocker as a rookie uh, we all know Michael Bowie is the guy that got got the opportunity and that's the guy they believe in and the main reason being is that team will always value someone who can run block and be physical in that way over somebody who is a better pass protector and so knowing that Jermaine Effetti is a far more intimidating, imposing figure at right tackle than Ethan Posich, um is. Posich is a guy that um, is not that big. I mean, he's not tiny, but he's he's pretty narrow. And that's in what relation. I mean. He's
0: different than the guys they've drafted.
2: Yeah, he's he he looks more like a, a big tight end than he does like you know hulking offensive tackle. Um. But, uh, you know, as you said, very steady. Um, I have not seen any real big mistakes from him. He's, I haven't seen him get really badly beaten yet. Um, and Efedi, I have. Um, I think he did better today. Um, you know, yesterday was a disaster. I mean, he, he looked like this was never going to work. As, as, that's how bad it looked yesterday from my point of view. Um, he was barely getting a hand on Cliff Averill. He was barely taking a step before Averill had taken three. So um, that was pretty bad. I, I think today he recovered. I respect that. He, you know, the pads were on. Um, he knocked Averill to the ground a couple times. Averill kind of slipped both of those times, but, you know, I'll give uh, Fetty credit. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think the battle's on. Um, I think there's some other battles on that line that are interesting. Like I'd bring up Abushi. Um, that, that was going to be my next really, question. Really impressed me today, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. What was your question?
0: Well, that was going to be my next question. Abushi is a guy that no one really thought of as a starter. He was more, I guess it was thought that he was more of a depth player, but they opened up camp with the ones and he's ahead of Mark Lewinsky. And obviously cable likes to switch a lot of it and move guys around, but, is a boucher guy we should be looking at as a potential starter or are they just really trying things out
2: no i, I absolutely um I, I think he start. he was in the starting spot the first two days of camp at right guard um next to a fetty and um today glowinski was back in there as this, the starter at right guard um they tend to do this where there's areas where they really want to see competition they'll rotate players so you know, you'll see myself or other reporters who uh, I shouldn't say other reporters, actual reporters um, who, <laughs> uh, who will say, Hey, you know, Glowinski the starter or, and that's never accurate. Like they, they tend to, especially early in the first week, they're trying to figure out who um, is, you know, what their death chart really is. Um, but yeah, they seem to be rotating there. I thought uh, I had a couple notes where I had to remember who 63 was because I'd been watching Obushi who's 73 enough. And I kept writing his number down because he just in one V one pass rushing drills, he was stoning guys and he shows strength. He seems very steady. Um, I haven't been able to see him in the run um, game that much. So that's another thing I'll I'll have to kind of watch. And it's really hard to judge that, but um, in these practices, but I would give the the edge to Abushi at this point um 3 days in.
0: Yeah. And yeah, we'll stay on a positive note. Other than Abushi, I guess looking across the roster, you've probably touched on this in some of your observation write-ups. Who's really stood out to you that kind of came in under the radar that you didn't really expect here and any we're not talking like big time players. I'm talking like middle of the road guys who are battling for roster spots. Who's jumped out to you so far?
2: Um. Well, the guy that, that I thought really stepped up today um, and has had a solid camp so far is J.D. McKissick. Um, okay. Running back last year, um, came from Atlanta. We signed him off the, the Atlanta's team, uh, and he's playing wide receiver exclusively this year. And, one, he looks really, really natural as a returner. He's done that before, both as a punt returner and a kick returner. He looks explosive. He looks dynamic. I think he offers something there um and then he just uh he looks like he's ready to ascend um on the receiver side i, I think he offers something a little bit unique i was actually chatting with a couple of the guys different guys on the team and getting their take okay. and you know comparing i think he and cyril grayson are the you know the same body type very similar and grayson stood out to me the first day as like wow this guy's really fast and then the second day, he was dropping every kick return and dropping passes that were hitting him in the hands. So I think he was showing his inexperience. Today, it was a better day. He was the only player I saw that beat Earl Thomas deep in 1v1 okay. drills, beat him by like two or three yards um, for a touchdown. Um, he had a couple other um, long gains, I think in another touchdown. Um, so he had a good day today, but McKissick's a guy that um, – you know, (laughs) I got different responses from different players. Uh, Some people like Grayson's um, speed and upside and other people like McKissick's um, uh, ability to separate right now and his, his more refined game. And um, if I had to pick one, I think McKissick looks much more like an NFL player right now.
0: They got a abundance of skill players, man. And, the guy that keeps popping up in some of the media reports right now is Chris Carson, who was kind of the Pete Carroll push mm-hmm. in that last round of the draft with him and Alex Collins and Lacey's being raved about and Rawls is being raved about and pro sites got back to practice today. How are they going to find room for all these guys?
2: They're not, <laughs> they're not, <laughs> You're not um, wrong. I, mean, I think, uh, I think I like what I've seen from Carson. I- I'm not, I'm not ready to say that, you know, to anoint him as, as a guy that's really on the ascendancy. I see it pretty clearly as, you know, you've got Rawls and Lacey and Procise. I think Alex Collins has had one of the best camps of anybody so far. Um, I wrote about him a lot yesterday. Didn't have as big of an impact to practice today, but first two days, he really stood out. Um, I, you know, I think he's the clear fourth back um and everyone else is fighting for scraps so um i think carson looks the part i thought he ran well today he had a couple of touchdowns um you know the the line created some nice holes for him i think mike davis also has looked at least as good as carson i'd say probably better um so and once pro size -Size was back at practice today but he didn't really do anything once ProSize is taking snaps you know the guys like Mike Davis and, and Carson are going to start barely seeing the field. So it's going to be really hard for them to, to make an impression.
0: And yeah, to me, that's been one of the bigger stories in camp. And to me, something that's really jumped out just from studying the roster and studying the moves they've made, their special teams unit should be loaded up compared to last year. Some of the guys they got brought in, Terrence Garvin, Michael Wilhoyt, the trade for DJ Alexander. And then they brought back Mike Morgan, which kind of surprised me. They moved out from Arthur Brown, brought back him, who's a pretty good special teams player. This unit should be loaded up from last year. And not only that, it seems like there's kind of been a change that Will Hoyt seemed to be the odds-on favorite to start at that linebacker position, the Will Sam spot. And it seems like he's more moved to the middle. And now it looks like it's going to be Garvin who's taken over. They mentioned his secondary skills today. He played there at college, and he's more suited to play in coverage. Is he now the total favorite for that role, or are there... Is it still Mike Moe or maybe even Smith? It's completely yeah. flipped from what we thought it'd be.
2: Well, what, I mean, what did, what did we talk about last week are my my four keys to, to how the Seahawks need to change and get back to their identity. One was running the ball. Two was um, turnovers, um, creating takeaways primarily. Three was um, uh, explosive plays. And four, special teams. And of all of those, the one that they've shown – the greatest investment and alignment on turning around is special teams. Um, they have, they have almost assembled a dream team of special teams players um, that they brought in. And, and it's, it's a, I think it's a great way to go because you can get those guys at affordable rates. are generally not top of the line and you add draft picks that are young and great athletes. Like, there was a time, Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas. all those guys were on special teams, and some of them still are. Doug, you know, those guys are all still doing that stuff. But now you can have some of these young guys step in and make make plays there. I think that's huge. I think I'm really excited to watch that group play because that's, by the way, that's a great way to help create turnovers. I mean, we've all seen yeah. Ricardo Lockett fly down the field and knock the stuffing out of a returner creating a fumble. So, you know, I think that that's potentially a huge, huge change um, in the way this team is composed compared to last year, probably the biggest change. So I love that. I think you're right for calling that out. Um, and then uh, you had asked about uh, Will Hoyt and, and Garvin and uh, I admit I, I thought Will Hoyt was a foregone conclusion at the Sam position. I, i I've, not enjoyed playing against him in the past. I think he brings a lot to the table, uh, even though he's a little bit older. But uh, man, I look at a guy like uh, Garvin and I I see why the team's been raving about him, Um, way more so than even Lane. We talked about him at the outset and how the team was hyping him. Garvin, uh, he moves extremely well. And the thought of him with KJ and Bobby, you know, it's pretty exciting. I I think, you know, Bruce Irvin is one of my favorite players, really sorry to see Bruce go, you know, he didn't move this way. Um, He was, he's a little bigger of a guy, you know, a little more of a straight line guy, Garvin, he moves all directions really well. So I think he's got to, he's going to play. I don't know if he's going to start, but he's going to play. And um, Will Hoyt, also looked good and is you know dependable and reliable. You know you're going to get there and probably maybe a better pass rusher. So the way I, I mentioned yesterday, I think this is the first time they'll have that kind of linebacker depth since they lost Malcolm Smith, um, who's gone on to do really good things for the Raiders. And um, let's not forget he's the one that was the Super Bowl MVP. So having depth there is, is pretty helpful.
0: Yeah, it just it yeah. seems to be the theme across the roster. Just they've loaded up depth at so yeah. many different so many spots. spots and. I guess we only mentioned a fetty as someone who's kind of disappointed us. I guess we got to talk about it. It's, it's part of the, it's part of the job, but has anyone else kind of let you down so far or kind of been a less of maybe what you thought going into camp?
2: Um, it's a good question. Um, less than what I thought. Well, uh, Nas Jones, um, you know, one of our third round picks, uh, he hasn't shown me much yet. Um, you know, granted he's supposed to be kind of a run-stuffer, so how much can he show, but um, he seems he seemed a little overweight when I saw him yesterday. I have to admit, when I looked at him again today, I was like, maybe that was the wrong guy because he didn't look quite as overweight today. Uh, maybe he went <laughs> on a, a quick diet, but um, yeah, I haven't seen much from him that to get me excited. Uh, I would say there is one guy that comes to mind. I really was hoping Tanner McAvoy would take a step forward. And uh, that was a guy I hyped up before he even really took the field. Like, I thought he was an interesting athlete and he turned out to be a super interesting athlete, but um, so far he's had some drop passes, not been involved. Doesn't I mean, honestly, he looks like the guy he looked like last year, where I had no expectation once training camp, and I got my eyes on him. No expectation that he was going to make the roster until he got into preseason games, and he just started making plays. So maybe he's just a gamer, but he uh, he, he doesn't move that quick. He doesn't get separation, and so far he hasn't shown the ability to to grab the ball from you know away from other defenders. So he's been a guy I've been a little bit um, disappointed in.
0: It's a tough battle for him with Kenny Lawler, too, and Cason Williams and Darbo and David Moore. There's there's not a lot of room for those guys. There's probably one or two spots up for grabs, so something like him taking a tough start to camp, that's really tough because you got to really battle for those spots, and he's going to really need to shine during those games. And it seems like we got some more questions here, and Let's we're going to try to get Robert in here. Let's see if this is going to work robert asked us a question let's see if we can get him in here hey robert hey guys how you doing
2: good oh. how you doing robert very good from toronto same
4: city as uh as jeff yeah just just wanted to know um sorry getting some echo here um update on Deshawn shed I think he's uh I think he's the man at cornerback. I'm not sold on um um who's the guy Jeremy we're just Lane. mentioning. Jeremy Lane. Jeremy Lane, yeah. Just like the body type better of uh, Deshaun Shedd. I'm just wondering um when he'll when you think he'll be back.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I I think um you know, Deshaun's been on the field, he's been actually coaching up some of the the younger players, which is good to see. And um Uh, I'm, they just mentioned that he was, he just had another procedure done to help clean up his knee a little bit, which they think will help get him back a little bit sooner. But uh, my expectation is this guy got injured in the second round of the playoffs, um, last season. Um, I think to expect him back anytime before, you know, week six or, or whenever the PUP, um, you know, they can eligible to bring back he might even come off later than that. You know, some people don't realize that that's, that's the first time you can take someone off PUP. There's also, I think maybe till week eight or week 11, there's something around there. I can't remember what the exact date is where they can stretch it out. So I don't think he'll start the season with the team. Um, I do think he'll be a great injection of additional depth mm-hmm. and talent when he does come back. Um, but I will offer, you know, I'm, I'm a big Deshaun shed fan. I will offer Robert that, uh, I did some analysis on where the Seahawks pass defense struggled last year. And, um, there's some pretty damning signs that, um, Deshaun shed, especially in short patterns, um, like comeback routes, things of that nature really struggled. And, um, the teams really took advantage of him on that side. So, um, I'll be interested to see if if guys like Nico Thorpe or Jeremy Lane, you know can can shore that up. Um, I think Shed has some really obvious strengths. I mean, mainly that he's strong. He's a former safety and has those big mm-hmm. hands. But um, uh, I think the team has some guys that can potentially step up and and help in his absence.
0: Thank you. yeah. All I can add is that they're gonna ease him back into action. Pete said yesterday that he got another procedure kind of to speed up the process and with all the depths they have at corner right now with Griffin and with Thorpe, they don't need him to play anytime soon. So PUP is the likely scenario and maybe get him in for the second half of the year. And kind of what Brian was saying, shed is a very like assignment, correct player, but he doesn't have the best ball skills. He's not the turnover. Numbers have gone way down since he's kind of taken over that role. And it's not really his fault. That's just kind of his game. And he's more of a, he's was intended to be more of a depth player that really learned that step kick technique. and, Really got comfortable in the scheme from kind of growing up through the special teams to the safety to the corner. He really understood the scheme. So, having him with Sherman and with Lane and with Griffin is going to be a nice, nice addition for them, Lane in the Year. But there's, yeah, I just can't see him playing before week 10 almost.
4: I just think uh, with Jeremy Lane, I think the body type when you're matching up against uh, receivers like we will face in the NFC West and, and outside the division. It's just um, something I'm not overly comfortable with at this point. But
2: I hear you, Robert, and and I'll absolutely I'm with you on the the sense that the cornerback position has probably more to prove than any other position outside of offensive line on this roster, and I don't think anyone should assume that just because you know, the coaches are talking positively about Lane and I said that he's been looking better, that it's better. (laughs) Like, we all we got to watch it in the games. We got to see them actually face teams that they don't know what the plays are that are coming at them and and don't recognize the players and don't play them every day. Um, And the fact of the matter is Jeremy Lane, we've got tape on him. We've got history and he has not been a great cornerback. He has been good at times um Mm -hmm. never great and so i think that's if that's your starter that's concerning and um the hope has to be that he has stepped forward something has clicked hope Mm -hmm. has to be that the guys like shaq griffin or some of these other guys that are new um pick things up more quickly and um you know eventually overtake them so uh, you know that's that's what i'm hoping for and what I saw from Shaq Griffin today was pretty encouraging. So I don't know if he'll overtake him by the time, you know, the season starts, but uh, there's some really nice things that I saw that I haven't seen from a lot of other cornerbacks um, in the Seahawks camp.
0: It's
4: good to hear.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. And what I would add there too, is that the way he has guaranteed money in his contract lines up lanes, really on edge this year, because if he doesn't perform and this is all just talk, He's not going to be back on the team next year. And that's kind of how they drafted, and Shed will be back. And if Elaine doesn't perform, they're probably going to waive him after the season. So this is kind of a do-or-die moment for his career after he got that big extension last year. So he's got to play. There's, there's, there's no too doubt much, There's too much young
4: talent coming up the tubes for him to um, not take advantage of the situation.
2: That's, exactly. that's, that's, yeah. that's a great point. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, asking your question, Robert. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I
5: appreciate that.
0: All right. Anyone else has questions? We're welcome we're welcoming the questions. It's fun to get people from all over North America so far. We've had Austin, we've had Arizona, not in Seattle. But <laughs> Toronto, yeah. Texas. And it looks like Sean wants to come back on the show. Yeah, That's Sean, be- let's have another one. Sean is from Austin, Texas. He was our first guest.
3: Uh, thanks for having me back on. Um, I want to hear, uh, Jeff and Brian, you guys talk about um, Jimmy Graham and the red zone. I don't know what is wrong with our coaching staff to where if, if we had 20 red zone plays, I do not mind forcing it to him 10 times out of 20. I, I just I don't know why we try to get so cute and artsy and just, you know, throw it up to the big guy. Let him go get it. I mean, you see it with Gronk. You saw it with him in New Orleans. Um, do you all have any thoughts on um, <laughs> how we cope with this if the coaching
0: staff doesn't ever change? <laughs>
2: <laughs> go ahead, Jeff.
0: I think it's a combination of two things. I, f- I, I hate to be the guy who bags on the offensive coordinator and bags on Daryl Bevel. I like Bevel, I think he's a pretty good designer and a pretty good. But down here, the red zone, his play calling is peculiar. Unfortunately, we saw it in that Super Bowl. And I think the other part of it, and I is, is a lot of it is Russell Wilson. And a big part that he does have down there is his height does hurt him. And so, like the, the obvious logical option would be, why not just throw it up to Jimmy? He's a big target. He's he's strong. He's you you should be able to see him from all angles. But Russell doesn't have the best vision. That's the kind of area where his height really affects him. And unless you're designing plays and he gets taken out, the play kind of breaks down. And a lot of times I don't forcing the ball, to curse or throwing it out of bounds. And it just hasn't been a very effective solution. So there's two, it's got to be twofold. One, Russell's got to be more comfortable in ways you can use Graham down there. And it's going to be maybe first read stuff or stuff that you can do out of the play action and and bevels that design better. And maybe they got to not have curse as a primary option or kind of use process as a way to free him up but those two factors have really contributed to graham being more of a middle of the field player than a red zone player and that's not really why you trade the first round pick and max Unger for him you got him to score touchdowns and as good as he was last year you need him to be better i'm totally with you their frustration can be very high for me
2: (laughs) yeah I i think that's uh that's well said. It's uh, definitely well said, Sean. And I, I think you represent a, a lot of, a lot of us in, in that frustration. And um, I'll agree with Jeff that some of it, some of it's definitely play, play calling. Um, some of it is quarterback reads and, and you know how I'm not going to say that, you know, Russell is just making some mistakes, which I, th- I think he, he probably is. Uh, I think that's fair. He's still learning, but um there's a certain amount of trust that has to be developed in a quarterback and a, and a covered player to throw it to them and succeed. And, um, you know, that that's going to take a little time um, to, to get there. I will tell you, encouraging signs today, uh, that they did red zone drills and Jimmy was making multiple touchdown catches Uh <laughs> He was spiking the ball right in the defender's face uh, multiple times, uh, making sure they knew knew about it. He, uh, he had one of the best catches I've seen on a practice field um, today as well. Uh, unreal. It was a third down play in full team drills. And uh, Russell threw him the ball. It was to his left. Somehow Jimmy got, like, fingertip on it, um, Managed to tip it up, tip it back to his other hand, tip it again um, and, and grab it and run for another 15 yards after that. And um, it was, it was pretty, it's a pretty ridiculous play. Um, the amount of, of uh, hand-eye coordination required to do what he did in the, the time that he did it, he's been everywhere in the first three days of camp. So I think, you know, I, I will admit that I predicted that uh, uh, in our house, at least my house with my son. I I thought that Jimmy Graham last year, um, sorry, back when when they initially acquired him, I thought there was a chance that he was going to be the same impact on the Seahawks offense that Randy Moss had on the Patriots offense um, and just really elevate them. Injury, injuries some other things aside i I think they might be ready for him to really take the offense forward um so uh russell is looking for him all the time and i think that's a really good sign
0: and one more thing i'd like to add um russell puts out some of these videos in the offseason and when he's training down in la and sometimes there are these eye-rolling marketed videos that sometimes are hard to watch but one of the things i did notice on one of the videos this year is when he was working out with Jimmy and a bunch of the receivers down in LA, at USC and UCLA, he was specifically working on one kind of throw with Jimmy. You can see it in these videos. It was the back shoulder throw with a covered defender. And that's one of the areas they haven't been able to utilize Jimmy as well as he should have been. And I think having the full offseason with him now that he's not battling a serious injury and being able to build that chemistry as Brian just mentioned, I think that's going to go a long way because he's not the fastest player off the jump. He's a guy that wins with size and athletic ability. And you saw it in the Jets game last year. You saw it in the Bills game last year. He can make catches when he's completely covered and he can make freak catches. And when you watch that Bills game, you figure, okay, they figured out how to use this guy finally, but then he disappears and has two targets two weeks later, you know? So they got to get more consistent and they got to score touchdowns down there because with this defense and with this running game, you're going to win a lot of games when you can score like that.
2: I gotta build on what you said there one more time, but uh, I think you're right to talk about the running game because the tight end's best friend is a running game. Um, you know, and they did didn't have that last year. It was one of the worst running games in the NFL, which is crazy given who the Seahawks have been before. And one of Russell Wilson's greatest strengths is play action passing. So if you can get a team to actually respect your running game, and the linebackers have to stay close absolutely opens up play action passes for, you know, uh, the seam for, for the tight end to run up and get behind those linebackers. And so, you know, that's a big part of why the the run game is so important this year. Um, I I think it's only going to help, um, you know, Jimmy Graham get, get even better.
0: All right. Thanks again, man. We got two questions from Tim, not on video, just he sent in these questions and they're both Jimmy Graham related. So I'll just ask you them, Brian, and then I'll comment. Okay. The first one was how do you guys think Jimmy will age? And the second one was more or less. Do you think Tony Gonzalez is a good comp? I know Davis Sue has talked about this on Twitter. Kind of, They got beaten that Atlanta game by a kind of older, slower Tony Gonzalez. They couldn't cover him with their linebackers. Do you see him turning into that kind of player or... How do you see the guy aging? Has he, as he kind of loses his speed and maybe he can't jump as high? And
2: that's a really interesting question. I don't, I don't see them as similar athletes. I, Tony Gonzalez, for me, was a much, uh, much stronger player. Um, you know, I, I think that he was more physical than than Jimmy is. I think Jimmy is. This is going to come across the wrong way. I mean it respectfully. He's much more of a finesse. Um, you know player than i think gonzalez was um and i think that that jimmy is an elite um route runner and um, pass catcher at, at that position as he gets older he's still going to be 6 7 um and he's still going to be 250 260 whatever he is so i think you know he's going to be able to still create space for himself to make catches um Tony Gonzalez was a one of a kind um, player, and the way that he was able to be productive at such a late age, it's hard for me to. It's hard for me to think that that Jimmy's going to follow suit. It's hard for me to think almost anybody's going to follow suit. So, um, I think that's a tough comp. Um, but I absolutely think Jimmy Graham can be one of the top tight ends in the league for the next four years. Um, I, I, without any hesitation.
0: Yeah, I'm I would agree with that a little bit. Just Tony Gonzalez had just such a unique ability to read a defense and find a hole in the defense and his knowledge of schemes. And all those years in Kansas City, he was just a top-end player on a team that didn't really have any other passing games. And Jimmy Graham's been a great player. And, yeah, there's some flaws in his game. He's not the toughest player in the world, although his blocking has really surprised me. And when he played in New Orleans, I thought he was a little bit soft. I'm not going to lie. When, when Seattle played them those in 2013, and bruce Irvin, the whole who's jimmy thing i wasn't the biggest fan of him and when they made the trade i was kind of surprised they targeted him given their history with them and yeah but i can see the athletic comp in terms of where like jimmy can still be a valuable player if he loses his speed and he can still win with size and win with routes but I, i'm not i'm with you i'm gonna be hesitant i'm not gonna call him tony gonzalez uh, on the other hand we're bringing in jeff here he's he's been raising his hand for a while and Let's bring him in for a question. So Jeff, when you load up here, let us know where you're from and then get to us with the question.
5: Can you hear me?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. Welcome. Okay.
5: Hey, I'm doing good. I am uh, currently living in the Big D in Dallas, Texas. Oh, man. man hey, uh, am
2: Texan. Wow.
5: Long time Seattle resident and 25 year season ticket holder. I uh, moved awesome. here about a year ago. Still have my tickets, and I'll still be at uh, quite a few games this year. Uh, If you you guys come down uh, Christmas Eve, we'll make sure and hook up. Oh, man. Make something happen down here. Um, Anyway, my question is kind of a random one about a position where there's absolutely no battle, and that's Mike Backer. And uh, obviously, Bobby's a stud, and there's no position battle there. But in the past, he's had some injuries where he's lost some time. And their plan of late seems to be to move KJ into that role and then replace KJ. I've always thought that that kind of weakens us at two different positions. So my question with all the new backers, is anybody a true Mike backer? Or are they just relying on the versatility of all these new guys? What do you think?
2: You want to take that one first, Jeff?
0: Yeah, off the top, I would agree with you. And I remember there was a game down in Kansas City a couple years ago when Wagner went out. K.J. moved to the middle, and Malcolm Smith moved into K.J.'s role. And they really struggled at tackling. And I had the same thought. I said, you're hurting two spots. You're hurting the scheme. They really need to get a backup inside linebacker that can kind of slide And You're not going to get a Wagner or someone near that level. Wagner's an all-pro player who can run and tackle and read defenses. And Brock Coyle wasn't that guy, and I think that's why they were willing to move on from him. They brought in Arthur Brown, thinking maybe he can do it. He was a guy they liked in the 2013 draft He's already gone. And I think the guy that's starting to line up at that position is Michael Wilhoyt, the guy they signed from San Francisco. I think cutting Brown and bringing in Morgan kind of aligns Wilhoyt as a backup linebacker. So you don't have to move right over. And Wilhoit isn't as fast as Bobby Wagner. He's not as an explosive athlete like those guys, but he's a savvy assignment correct player. He's tough. He's physical. And I think you can get by with him in the middle in a pinch and the way the roster lines up more with Garvin and Morgan back that's sort of looking like he's the guy it's no it's no Wagner obviously yeah. but i think i think it's a suitable backup role and a guy who's been around knows the division he's not going to make explosive plays but he's a guy the coaches can trust and that goes a long way okay
2: cool yeah i think you've got some interesting things going on in the linebacker core and i will admit uh that uh Jeff, I haven't had a chance to focus in on that part yet of the roster as much as I'd want to answer your question the, the way I'd want. But here's here's the factors that that I've noticed so far. So one, um, Terrence Garvin absolutely has the potential to, to move into that middle, to the, the Mike linebacker spot um, as a backup. I think he's got that ability. I think Michael Wilhoyt could potentially do it as well. I, I don't think he moves well enough necessarily to be a, a great coverage option. So I, that's part of why I like Garvin. I think he's got the speed to be able to take some of the drops. Um, we've all seen Bobby take, which are super deep, um, you know, uniquely deep because of how fast Bobby is. Um, but there's some other factors at play here, which is special teams. The linebackers are a huge part of what's going on with special teams. And so you've got a guy like Dewey McDonald, who was second on the team in special teams tackle last year. He's a linebacker. They got to figure out if they're going to keep him around. You've got a guy like Alexander who they traded for, um, who's a pro bowl special teamer, um, who they're absolutely going to keep around. And they got to figure out where he fits. Um, You know, and I would even call out Otha Peters uh, had a pick six yesterday, um, you know, undrafted rookie. Uh, he's he's made some nice plays, so they've they've got some interesting athletes back there. I think it's going to come down largely to special teams. I don't think it's going to primarily be how good of a backup Mike they're going to be. Um, I think that's the major factor. And uh, yeah, I I am pretty fond of the idea of Garvin, you know, being that fourth linebacker who can come in at pretty much any of the three spots um, uh, if need be. So. You know, I, I may be overly excited after what I've seen from three days, but uh, he moves really well. He's, I think he's – I'm excited to see him in a real game. All right. Thanks, guys. Love this. And uh, so happy to help you um,
5: with, the, with the whole Patreon thing and um, wish you the best. Well, be Thanks, touch- man. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks a lot, man. We'll let you know if we come to
5: Dallas. You do that.
0: All right, man. Thanks a lot. And Brian, we have another question from Tim who just keeps sending in questions. And it's actually good because I was actually going to ask you this. So this covers two birds with one stone. Good. His question is, what have you seen from Nick Vanette camp so far? I know the team was very excited to get him.
2: Um, you know, Nick made a really nice catch yesterday. Um, uh, I want to say he had another one today. There was so much that happened at camp today. It was hard to hard to remember some of the individual plays, but um, hasn't, I mean, he hasn't jumped out. If you can tell by, by my, my answer, I I think he's, he's playing fine. Uh, I think the tight end, that's actually kind of surprised me. And I always have to look up his first name um, 85. I keep writing down the number um, Marcus Lucas. So Marcus Lucas is a um, undrafted, free agent that they signed on the practice squad. You know, last year he's on the practice squad for a little bit of time. So team knows him a little bit. He's making plays every day, every day, multiple plays. And <laughs> there's nothing that's that, uh, that stands out that much about him. I mean, he's decent sized, normal, you know, decent athlete, nothing amazing, but he's getting open. He's making catches. He's making plays. Um, reminds me a little bit of Brandon Williams from last year. I started hyping him from, you know, first first practice I saw, but he was a physical specimen. I was like, god, this guy looks like he can really block and that alone was exciting. I wouldn't say that about Lucas. So anyway, he's he's one tight end that that stood out a little bit. Um but I'm just assuming Nick Vanette's going to be He's going to be the third tight end. It would take a pretty big upset for that to change. And I'd be pretty surprised if they kept four tight ends again. I think Brandon Williams forced his way onto that roster last year with his special teams play as well as his blocking. Um, I don't know that, that any of the tight ends are going to be worth keeping four for.
0: Yeah. And guys, if you're still listening, we're still taking questions. And in the meantime, while there's no questions in right now, I'm going to get back to asking Brian some stuff as we've been, going for over an hour we've had guys here from austin dallas toronto arizona this has been crazy but we we opened the show with cam chancellor and as i said in our opening episode of real hawk talk one of the things i like to look at is just the front office perspective and brian always has kind of a measured view and so cam was a big story today he's locked in now they don't have to worry about him but there's still a couple big pending free agents coming up this year we we got we dealt with this a bit last week. Justin Britt, Jimmy Graham. How much does this deal change, maybe their future with the team, or does it change it at all? And do you think this hurts any of them?
2: Yeah, that's a fair question, Jeff. Um, you know, Evan Andrews on our our uh, staff is is the guy who does our cap analysis, and I know he's been uh, working on the you know, the cam contract. And for those of you that are on in the Facebook group for the, the patrons um, you saw that he, he provided some instant analysis on that. I think he's gonna be writing a, a post in more detail. Um, I haven't had a chance to look at it enough with enough information to say how this is going to affect other people. Um, I, I did, you know, see from Evan that it looks like it's going to clear up some space this year. I think the ripple effect of that, you know, assuming that's true is that, um, you know, that might clear some room to extend a guy like Britt, who's going to probably cost more money, um, this year. And so that might be, you know, the way I, I've seen them strategize before is they do have a specific order that they want to sign guys. And I think getting cam extended was not just to, because of his importance to the team, but probably strategically from managing the cap standpoint, um, to then know what they had to spend on these other guys. And uh, so I think we might see Britt happen next. Um, you know, <laughs> Earl, Earl's a guy that, man, I don't think we'll ever see a player like him on the Seahawks again. Um, I, you know, he's incredibly unique. I'm loving his look. He's rocking right now. He looks like Ed Reed. He's, he's got like the veteran, I don't give a crap anymore. I'm growing my hair out, my beard out. And I'm just, he's wearing... He's wearing short shorts and like long white uh, leggings during this uh, during the camp. I mean, he's just he's just out there doing Earl. And so the idea of, of the Seahawks without Earl um, is not a, an idea I like to think about. So uh, if he's willing to play, that's the biggest question. Is he committed and excited to keep playing? And if he is, you keep him around. That guy's a once in a lifetime kind of player to have on your team.
0: And you saw life without Earl last year, and it was scary. (laughs) It was terrifying. The whole scheme fell apart in the second. Yeah, and I think people aren't talking about Earl enough, I don't think. It's the fact that he's almost a non-story of how quickly he's transitioned back to the field. Pete said today he's looking as fast as he did in the the rookie year, 2011, his sophomore year. And, And that's a stunner. This guy's coming off a broken leg, and... He's gone bigger and stronger, and he he just looks he just looks fired up to play right now. And he's, he's been my I, favorite Seahawk since he was drafted, so this is incredible news to me.
2: <laughs> he's a crazy character too. I mean, but but uh, he is that is absolutely true. And in fact, I, you know, shame on me for not writing more about it so far. But I've sat there each of the three days, and I catch myself at least once, and usually a couple times, just looking at his legs um and he is he is thickened up um and and i think that uh it's potentially i'd be interested if someone asked him but um i think the rehab that that he had to do um to get ready and, and come back from the injury could be having some unintended, you know, or unexpected positive effects. He tweeted out a a short video highlight film of some of his uh, rehab work that he was doing. I think it was last night he sent that out. Um, But he looks, he looks thick. And um, I'm really excited to see how that translates onto the field. I would say overall, the secondary looks great. I mean, it's hard, it's hard, to keep in mind how good richard sherman earl thomas and cam chancellor are we will never ever see a seahawks secondary that approaches how good this team is and um uh, they still are amazing so um hopefully they're all healthy as they're they're gonna be um you know are they healthy as they've been and uh, we'll actually get to see that group kind of return to their rightful place as the best secondary in the NFL.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. The amount of guys they've been able to sign. And I saw Trey Wingo was tweeting out just the amount they've given in the secondary. And just the average fan doesn't realize that there's room for all these guys. There's room to bring all these guys back. And John Schneider and the steam he's assembled has done such a good job of just keeping these core guys. And I see all these comments like, oh, they're going to be out of cap room, blah, blah, blah. They actually saved cap this by this chancellor move. And it's amazing that they can keep star at all three levels, a star quarterback, Doug Baldwin, Jimmy Graham. And it's just unbelievable how much talent they've assembled. And sometimes you lose sight of that. Maybe sometimes you're upset about the offensive line or Graham's usage in the red zone. It's just unbelievable how much talent this team still has. And they're going to be a contender every year with this group. And it's just fascinating to me. And we're taping on a Tuesday. The Seahawks are off tomorrow. They, they're not going four days in a row, so this is good if you need your Seahawks fix on a commute. There's not going to be your pre- training camp practices, but it looks like we have another question. Sean wants to come back in first yeah, thirty. Take He's, one
2: more, right? and, and uh, this will be the final uh, question. Yeah,
0: let's see if we can get him back in here. This will be the final question for a good night of questions.
3: on and, and share a little bit about Earl. Um, he's from UT, so that's in my backyard here. Um, I, I read an article, I think his trainer was like Tony Hill or some, some guy that he worked with um, in the offseason. He was just saying, I don't know if y'all saw that article, but he was just saying that he looks just like a flat out animal, that he has just attacked his rehab, that he has actually gotten stronger uh, from when you know, in years past and that he's just really knocked it out and that he's just, he's laser focused. I mean, he (laughs) will work out, go home, come back and work out. And he worked, works out like four times a day or, you know, he just had a really, really strong off season. So I haven't really seen that talked about as much um, ever since that article, but um, it's good to see that y'all are seeing that, or at least Brian out at practice, you're seeing, you're seeing the results of that. Um, And then second, yeah, go ahead.
2: No, go ahead. Finish thought. Uh,
3: the second thing is also being down here in Austin. I'm, I'm a Texas A&M graduate, so um, I, I know Afedi uh, pretty well from college. And he, I, I don't want to say the sky's falling yet, but he scares me at right tackle, left tackle, any tackle spot. Um, I had hopes when they drafted him that moving him inside to guard, that that's a pretty good spot for him, I thought. Um, so now the fact that they're moving him back out, uh, I don't know what that means. I don't know if they're just trying to, they just, you know, are wishfully thinking that he'd be the tackle, but based on what I saw of him playing at A&M, you know, every Saturday, um, that's, that's not really the, the player that we're looking for out at tackle.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Um, Thanks, Sean. so I will, uh, just quickly respond to the Earl stuff and say that, uh, yeah. I mean, I think he looks as, as good as he's been. And, um, you know, I'll never forget. It was, I want to say it was 2012. Uh, I was talking to Gus Bradley, um, we we're at dinner and, uh, talking about the players and talking about, uh, how much talent I was like, I think you guys have this amazing talent. Like you guys are going to be an amazing defense. And, The anecdote he told me was um, uh, he pulled out his phone and showed it to me and there was a text message from Earl Thomas asking, uh, this was at like 1030 at night, asking for the code to get into the video room at the VMAX so he could be going through tape. And um, he said, every night, I could have shown you my phone every night. He's in there grinding um, and, and, you know, at that point he was second year in the league or something along those lines. And it always stuck with me. Um, Earl was already a pro bowl safety at that point. He'd already kind of made his, his mark um, as being a special player. Um, And he had this drive. And the thing that always concerned me after the super bowl was when he started making comments, even after the San Diego loss, um, second week of the season in 2014, uh, you know, he just, like he had to remind himself to have the fire you know he didn't have the same fire and um as a fan i could relate to it because i didn't honestly have the same fire after we won the super bowl um and so when he's talked about retiring last year i think that was real uh you know despite whatever anyone else says i think he was really questioning whether he still had the fire and, and i think he's been questioning that and so this injury and the fact that he's attacked it the way he has and he's come back and he's got this focus about him that he's you know when he's locked in, there's nobody like him. Um, yeah, I think this could be a huge year for him. It'd be friggin' awesome because there's just there's not anyone else like him in the NFL that can do what he can do when his mindset. All
0: right, Sean, thanks for coming on. You've been very helpful tonight. And
3: do you want me to really leave you really with an actual it. question?
0: Uh, I think <laughs> I think we're good for now. Don't worry about it, man. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks you. Yeah, I'm going to echo that sentiment on Earl. He's to me, you're watching a first ballot Hall of Famer in the prime of his career. And he just reminds me of like Ed Reed and Troy Polamalu in one player. And it's just you saw him without him last year. I think watching his defense kind of crumble without him, that really sparked his fire. And that must have that must have been hard for him. And I think that's been part of the, the comeback story. But overall, this was incredible tonight. We got tons of guests. We got tons of good questions. And we've been going for almost an hour and a half. So we're we're gonna we're gonna close up tonight. That's another episode of the Real Hawk Talk Show. We're gonna be back next week and we're gonna have we got a good guest in store for you guys. And we're gonna be teeing up the first preseason game. It's crazy to think about. And Brian will be back with more observations. Hopefully we'll have an update on Malik McDowell by then. But until then, thanks for joining us and we'll have the audio and the video up on the site as soon as we can brian if you have anything to say to end it off
2: have a good night everybody go hawks
0: all right